What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Breakline Arena. We are so grateful that you are here. The Breakline Arena is a space that welcomes changemakers, hustlers, and leaders in the tech industry to share their journeys and passions and insights. We are hosted by Breakline Education, which serves to help top performers from underselected backgrounds land new and exciting roles in the tech industry. If you're a person of color or a veteran or a woman, there's info in the show notes about how to join our community. Now let's dive into the arena for today's special guest. Welcome, everyone. This is Bethany Coates, CEO of Breakline. I'm really happy to be here today with Larry Liu, founder and CEO of We. Larry, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Bethany, for having me. It's a great pleasure to talk to you here. Delighted to have you, Larry. And just as we kick off, could you share a little bit about yourself with our audience? Tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was born and raised in China, and I got my engineering degree from a Chinese university. That was 20 years ago. And after I graduated from university, I worked for Intel Shanghai as a product engineer. And then a year later, Intel relocated me from Shanghai to Folsom, California. It's a small town in the suburb of Sacramento. So after I came to the U.S., I worked for Intel for a couple of years and I went to UC Davis to get my MBA in finance and management. After that, I moved to the Bay Area working for two high-tech companies for six years in the corporate finance function. So that's my professional career before I started WE. Thank you so much, Larry, for sharing that. And one of the reasons why I love that story is that I think if we ask people in Silicon Valley, what does an entrepreneur look like? They wouldn't automatically go to like a finance expert at a tech company. They would maybe think about a software engineer or something like that. And I love myth busting. And so can you talk to us about your insight for we and your decision to kind of leave this very stable, secure, you know, terrific path that you were on to go after something new, something really risky. And, you know, talk to us about the insight that you found and then like how you had the courage to make the leap. Yeah. So that opportunity I saw back in 2014, 2015 was that I observed that people were using the messaging app WeChat. I don't know if you know, it's one of the leading messaging apps in the world, especially in China. So I was added to a lot of WeChat groups at that time. And I observed that people were talking about great food they couldn't buy here in this country, mostly Chinese food or some super fresh seafood or produce. One night I saw a very resourceful member in the group who is a mom. She said she bought some super delicious fish from Half Moon Bay Fisher's Market. And she loved it so much, she talked to the fisherman and asked him if he could actually deliver the fish to our local communities if there's enough demand. And she asked people, hey, are you guys interested in buying the fish together? And overnight, she got an order of $10,000 worth of fish. Mm. So that totally blew my mind. And a week later, the fisherman went out, caught the fish and delivered the fish 
to our local communities. And there was a huge line in front of that mom's garage. So people pay cash and get the super fresh fish from the cooler. After that, the WeChat group exploded again because people tried the fish and they loved it so much. They agree with the mom. That's the most delicious fish they have ever had in the U.S. And they posted the recipe. They posted, they share with each other how they cook, pictures. And all the people who were in the group who didn't buy the fish now couldn't wait to buy. And people who did buy the fish wanted to do it again. So that was such an intriguing experience to me because, you know, I knew a little bit of e-commerce through a hobby I had. I actually became an eBay seller when I came to the U.S. So I was just hunting for deals when things were on sale and sold them on eBay. I was doing that. So I knew e-commerce concept. And I knew that for most people, e-commerce was about knowing exactly what you want and go to a very credible website and search and place order. That's my understanding of e-commerce. But in this case... People who bought the fish, most of them did not even know the fish existed. And also people, after the person who organized everyone to buy together, she did not have any technology. She did not have a website. People trusted her judgment because she's a a member of the community. And people understood that their taste is similar to that person. So it's a completely social-based shopping experience. And it also solved another problem that I I didn't think could be solved, which is to get the food that hard to access. Because fresh fish is just so difficult to get in this country. So I thought, wow, this could be something really, really huge. And I saw this happening in more than just one group. And I saw it happening in multiple cities. So that's when I had the conviction that this could be a huge thing, and I quit my job and started We. Mm. Larry, can we talk a little bit about the primacy of food and just being able to find the foods and groceries that you love, you know, and that feel like home and feel like family to you? That whole concept of feeling seen and recognized and valued in your food shopping and food procurement experience. Will you just talk to us a little bit about what you and your team have learned in terms of building We, which has grown so fast with respect to just the ability to enjoy the foods that that you really love? Yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. I remember the first day I came to the U.S., I landed in the Sacramento airport my friend came to pick me up. I asked him, okay, how do you guys shop food here? And he said, oh, you have to drive an hour and a half to Berkeley to get Chinese food if you want. Or you can just shop, you know, American supermarkets, but they don't have anything specifically catering to Chinese Americans. So it was quite inconvenient. I often thought, oh, why is like that? Why this couldn't be better? Then I realized uh, it couldn't be better because you know, it's not viable for the mainstream stores to offer ethnic food for every single ethnicity. And also, it's very difficult for ethnic grocery stores to open so many stores to cater to everyone, right? Because they needed the density. So I didn't think it's a problem that can be solved until, you know, when I observed this 
group buying experience, I realized actually there could be a solution because so many people had the needs. We are in this new era where we can very easily find people who have their needs. If we have the products that they love, but hard to access, we could sell to these people by delivering the products to their homes. So that became viable during those times, you know, because now technology is, is more mature, social network is available. That's the moment I realized, yeah, it could be possible. Mm-hmm. And if we just think about like food is about obviously nourishment, but also time with your family and your friends, it's, it's a lot of joy that it brings to our lives. A lot of events revolve entirely around the food that we eat. So it's a really central experience for most people in terms of their day-to-day lives. And I'm thinking about you at that moment where you had the insight for we, and you could tell it was going to be big and it was going to be meaningful. Talk to us about making the leap. Talk to us about like resigning from your job and then how you, (laughs) how you took those first steps forward into your journey as an entrepreneur and founder. Yeah. So I share with you, I had a eBay kind of a side job selling on eBay. I think that was a very important experience because for the first time I realized I could actually make money, make profit without being part of a huge organization. So that gave me confidence that I probably had the skills to create a company. So when I saw this opportunity at that time, you know, another very lucky thing happened to me was that I got my green card 11 years after I I came to the U.S. So that made me feel more secure. You know, for immigrants, the green card is such a huge deal. And also, I was lucky that my wife had a full-time job, so she could support the family when my income disappears. So all these things come together. I realized I can actually pursue this and do something that has a big potential and do something that solve my own problem and my community's problem. So that's when mm-hmm. I quit my job. And Larry, in the first sort of year or two that you were founding We and building the team, was it all up and to the right? You know, or did you have moments of failure and fear along the way? It was a very hard journey, actually. So initially, our idea was to help people organize group buys to do a better job. That was the initial idea. Initially, we didn't set out to deliver groceries door to door. So that idea was was okay in the beginning because we were able to, like I explained to you, a lot of people were doing that. So we were able to attract a lot of group leaders to leverage our technology to organize group buys. So we raised some money, some capital in 2015 and 2016. However, two years into it, in 2017, we couldn't raise more capital and we couldn't also attract a lot of group leaders to our business. So that's when it's very, very challenging. After I failed to raise capital in the U.S., I thought maybe U.S. investors didn't understand our business model. So I went back to China to try to raise money from Chinese investors. And on a rainy day, 
I probably had some a lot of thoughts in my head, so I, I, I didn't pay attention. I slipped and hit my back on the stairs and broke three, fractured three bones around my spine. So I had to be flown back to my hometown, Wuhan from Shanghai, and stay in bed for a month. And that was the, probably the darkest moment of my life that I couldn't move and I didn't know what's the direction of the business and we were running out of cash. But that time really gave me a lot of space to think. That's when I realized actually the fundamental reason why people were buying things together in WeChat groups is that they wanted the food that they love, but that they couldn't have easy, affordable access to those food. So to make group buy better was not the right solution. The right solution should be really putting ourselves into the consumer's shoes. How can we give them easy, affordable access to the food they love? And I realized it should be a much better experience in terms of product assortment and the service. Because during the group buy period, customers couldn't get a lot of products, right? They can get the exciting Pacific Black Hot or, or super fresh produce, but they still had to drive to the Chinese supermarket to get the Chinese staples like soy sauce and tofu and green onions. And they still have to drive to uh, mainstream stores to get milk and egg and, and cheese. So it's an incomplete experience. And they had to wait to pick up the orders from their neighbor's garage. And sometimes police was called to the scene because other neighbors complained, oh, why this house always had, had, had a line in front of it. So it's a very incomplete and unattractive experience. People were using it not because they love this pickup and group buying experience, because they really wanted the products, right? So, so after, you know, we thought through, so we changed the direction. We're not trying to empowering the group buys anymore. Instead, we want to carry the products ourselves that people love. And it includes the super exciting products. Also includes the staple products available from Asian supermarkets and also staple products from American supermarkets. So they are, we create this one-stop shopping experience. And we decided to deliver directly to consumers' home. So they don't have to drive to their neighbor's garage, then drive to uh, supermarkets. And also, a, a very important decision we made is, although we will deliver to consumers' home, but we are not going to do same-day delivery. Because same-day delivery is very, very expensive to offer. If we had done same-day delivery, we had to offer prices much higher than people would have paid at brick-and-mortar stores. And we believe it's important to offer price very competitive to the brick-and-mortar stores. So those were the decisions that we made during that really tough time. When I recovered, I came back to the U.S. I was trying to pitch this new idea to investors, and obviously no one would believe in this new idea, new direction. So I discussed with my wife, we, we sold a house and we put more money into the business just to convince our existing investors that this new direction was worth trying. So they gave us, they threw us a lifeline, gave us a little bit of capital to try this new idea. So in the months followed, 
almost all the employees had to work in the warehouse every day. I remember I was picking orders in the warehouse in the morning and delivering orders in the afternoon and did the CEO job at night. And every day around 11 a.m., I would come to the office and ask all the office employees to help in the warehouse to pick orders for a couple of hours. So slowly but surely, it started to work, right? The, the new direction really fit what customers need. So we started to grow. So in another 18 months, we grew enough that we were able to attract fresh capital into the business. So yeah, that's kind of the journey we went through and how we found the new direction. That's amazing, Larry. Thank you for sharing that. Part of what I was thinking about as you recounted the story was just your humility. Like you are the visionary behind we, but you were also the guy in the warehouse packing grocery bags because that's what it took to get through that really scary period. As you think back on that period and the folks who stuck with it, do you have a special affinity for those members of the team who who really saw some of the darkest days of we and believe so much that they they saw it through? And now, obviously, you all are really on the other side of that. But do you think back with affection for the team that was there at the time? Yeah, absolutely. One thing that really moved me was that almost no key members of the team left the company during that period. So people really believed in, in the new direction. And people believed that we're doing something very special and we're doing something that helping ourselves, helping people in the communities to just have better life. You know, food is important to a lot of people. Having easy, affordable access of those food is making people's life better. And we always receive messages from people in the community. They're like, oh, this is so great. You know, couldn't even imagine I can have these things in the U.S., and later, especially during the pandemic, we were really moved by our customers. They just expressed huge appreciation to us that during this hard time and you guys keep the lifeline, keep delivering the products that sustain us. I guess we all believe that we're doing something uh, very meaningful to the communities and to ourselves. The CEO of Nike, John Donahoe, spoke in Breakline and he said, we spend a lot of time trying to avoid discomfort. <laughs> he said, but if you look back on your life, the phases of your life of which you're most proud, those are invariably times of struggle. You know, when you've really had to dig deep, like I'm thinking about you, Larry, being laid up for a month with a broken back as you hit a crisis point for the company do you feel like you personally learned about yourself during that time, about who you are as a leader, as a professional, as an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think so. I think how I see life is really a, a journey. I think it's incredibly lucky for someone to find something that he or she believes in so much that he or she is willing to devote his or her whole life to it. I felt that what I'm doing now is that. And throughout the last seven years, 
the understanding of what we're doing has always been deepened. In the beginning, we thought we were trying to help people making group buys easier. Then we realized we're really helping the the communities to get the food they love. Now we realize actually what we're doing is even larger than that because the world is changing. The world is getting more and more diverse. The world needs to be more inclusive. And what we are doing is actually creating a food shopping experience that help people see themselves, see who they are, and also help people to understand other people, other ethnic communities through food, right? A consultant helped us to say this in a very poetic way is food is a mirror and a window, a mirror to reflect yourself, who you are, your heritage, but also a window into another culture. The more we share about food, the more we, we love each other. So this is something that even more important than just helping the communities, but, but really to create a next generation food experience, I think is, is just so much better than what we have today. So that's why this is incredibly meaningful. So for me, being able to discover that throughout my journey it is such a special thing that really bring meaning to what we're doing, bring meaning to my life. So I think that's the biggest realization I have. That's why I feel incredibly lucky as a person to be able to find something like that. Thank you for sharing that, Larry. And, you know, and as we has grown, you all have enabled social functionality, storytelling functionality, comments and feedback. And there's really neat bridges that are being built on the We platform through food and our interest in food and the role that it plays in our lives. Do you have some stories from your customers, you know, real people who have used We and love We? And could you share one or two of those with us? I think a very interesting thing that we heard over and over is that young people would tell us that my mom introduced we to me. It's very rare. I've never heard that before, that somebody's mom introduced an app to a young person, right? But we just heard that over and over again. Oh, my mom, you know, introduced this great app, we to me, or sometimes even like my grandparent <laughs> told me about we. In the history of social apps, has that ever happened before <laughs> we got here, Larry? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I thought that's very interesting because a lot of the, the second generation immigrants, they actually, they grew up with the food they eat, but they don't know how to cook and they don't even know how to shop those food, right? So their parents actually told them, hey, you don't need to go to the stores that very difficult for you to navigate. You can actually download the app. You can, you can buy from this app. So that's very, very interesting. Another story, maybe one of our drivers one day came back and told us he delivered a lot of packages to our senior living community. So he said he walked in, he saw a, a group of senior folks sit around the table and they're just all with their phone placing order on we, right? To show each other, hey, do you buy this? Oh, have you tried that? Is that good? So that brought a lot of uh, joy to our work. 
that we're really creating something special that you know connect the generations and also just help people who need the food but they couldn't get. I love that story about connecting the generations. My maternal grandfather was an Italian immigrant and he grew up and his family obviously spoke Italian, but the emphasis in the US was really on fitting in and conformity. And so my mom and her siblings never spoke Italian. They only spoke English. And we lost a lot of that heritage. And now I'm rediscovering it. I love to cook and I particularly love to cook Italian food. And so I'm rediscovering what we lost in that generation when it was all about fitting in. Do you find, you know, those first generation, second generation American citizens sort of rediscovering part of their family heritage as they shop for foods that are kind of new and old for them at the same time on we? Yeah, absolutely. I think our customer base, there are a lot of first generation immigrants, also a lot of second generation immigrants. Like I said, the common theme for the second gen is they are familiar with the food, but they don't know how to buy those and they don't know how to make. So when we built the We app, we believe that it's not just about shopping. Food shopping is not just about completing the transactions. It's also about how to help people discover great products and how to inspire people and how to show them how to make certain things that they didn't know how to make. So we design the app or the shopping experience as an as a end-to-end experience all the way from inspiring the customers, help them plan their meal, the transaction itself, and then help them prepare the meal. And last but not least, share their experience with friends and, and family. So one statistics I can share with you is a third of our monthly active customers actually share their orders, what they purchased with friends and family. So I think we did a lot to facilitate that inspiration and facilitate that how to make the meal and tell each other great products. Larry, you told us about one of the hardest phases of building the company. And then just recently, you and your team raised over $400 million to keep building We. Can you talk to us about your go forward vision, what you all are going to build on from here and how that will impact the experience of your customers? Yeah, absolutely. So our mission statement is this. We challenge the world to taste life to the fullest. So what does that mean? That means we don't believe that the future of food shopping is going to be a solo activity that you just buy the same thing over and over again. We do not believe food is a source of energy, right? We believe food is much more, like I said, a mirror and a, and a window. Food is connecting people. Food is worth celebrating. Food is exciting. It nourishes you. So we really believe that the future of food retail business should bring out the best of the whole food experience rather than just 
being a very cold transactional place where people know exactly what they want. They come, they search, and they buy, then they leave. So we're incredibly excited about this next gen food experience to help people taste life to the fullest. They always get inspired with new things that they didn't know about, and we want them to try and love the new food. And after they do that, also share the experience with other people, right? To spread the words, to spread the love. So that's a very big vision. That's why we raise the capital because there's so much to do. There's so much to do. We want to increase the footprint geographically. We want to offer more product assortment, even more exciting assortment to our customers. We want to serve more ethnic communities, right? We started from Chinese and then we added Asian communities, then we added Hispanic communities, but our offerings are still very limited, right? We want to re- really realize our vision by expanding the assortment to serve more ethnic communities. We want to keep investing in, in the technology because we believe with a lot of products, we need to help people find the products rather than rely on themselves to search, right? So, so we have this AI-based discovery engine in the making. We keep refining it. And we believe in creating beautiful content that inspire people. That's why we hired a very renowned Hollywood director, John Chu, to be our chief creative officer. That's very beautifully telling the story that what we're trying to do. And all these things are super exciting, and we're really looking forward to that future. Thank you so much for that additional context, Larry. I'm super excited to see what you all build as well. I'm thinking about the people around you who've been with you on this journey, not necessarily as part of the WE team. I was thinking in particular about your wife and how that decision to sell your house in those dark moments, that was her decision too, you know, that she took in support of you and and your vision. What does she say now, Larry? (laughs) That like you and the company have really turned the corner. She must be so proud of you. Yeah, 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 she does. It was definitely a, a decision together. Actually, she was the one that actually had the conviction Hmm. To say, okay, let's let's do this. I think it's a it's a teamwork with my wife, also with the with the team. It's about again, it comes back to what kind of life we wanted to live. Live right. Mm. We we could have lived a life that's very stable and very comfortable, but that's not the life both of us wanted to live. We wanted to do something that's very interesting and very challenging and very rewarding. We made the decision in a way that even if we failed, it would have worth it. Hmm. It would, would have been worth it, right? So it's not a very calculating risk return decision. Hmm. Mm-hmm. More like this is the kind of life we wanted to live. I love that. That's amazing. Where did you all come up with the name? Oh, so the name is because we observe, I, I told you we observed the group by, so we were thinking about a name. We, W-E, means social, because group by, if you think about it, it's a very social activity. And the we is the sound kids made when they slide down the, the, the slides, right? So it's super exciting. 
So it reflected our belief that food shopping should be social and should be exciting. It shouldn't be a, a solo act. That's a chore. That's boring. So that's why we call it we. Mm-hmm. I love that. So Larry, now that you have some perspective and you know, you've built a big business and you're in a great position to continue building it, as you look back on what you've learned between those very early days when you left that stable career in finance at a tech company to taking the leap and being an entrepreneur, what would you have told your earlier self? The lessons that you've learned between now and then, what do you wish you had known or what would you have coached yourself on had you been able to look in the crystal ball and see how this would unfold? I think one thing I didn't know was how important the idea was, how important the idea had to be so much better than anything on the market at that time. Because a lot of people, myself included, when they start a a startup, they would assume they can execute everything perfectly. So they would assume that, oh, my idea, if it's a little bit better than what's on the market, I can beat the competition. But the reality is you can probably only execute 20 to 30% of the potential of your idea because it's something really new and you have to build everything from scratch. You have to find great people. You have to find capital. There's no way you can execute everything perfectly. So if the idea itself is not 10 times better than anything available on the market, then you are likely to fail because you can only operate at 20 to 30% of the potential. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So at that time, I didn't even know this idea is so fundamental. Now, when I articulate to people, I said, okay, why are we successful Well, the fundamental reason is the huge demographic shift in the United States. Asian Hispanic population has been growing 3 to 5% year over year, and it's going to continue for the next few decades. And this huge demographic shift created huge demand of food that cannot be fulfilled by the mainstream players, cannot be fulfilled by the brick-and-mortar ethnic stores. Right. It's this mega trend really created this vacuum for a company like we to offer easy, affordable access of food the gasting communities love. But I didn't know all that back then. I thought, oh, it's a, it's a group buying thing that's very interesting. It's a social buying of food. So I jumped in without knowing why, you know, this idea is so much better than, than the existing players. It's a paradox, I know, because if I had known the advice I just I just told you, I, I probably wouldn't have started the business. Uh, that's the interesting fact of life. You are ignorant, but you have passion and you just have the feeling in the gut that this is the right thing to do. I think Steve Jobs said this, right? Always follow your dream. Always follow your passion. Stay hungry, stay foolish. So that's very, very important. I also remember somebody asked me a question before. He asked, what's the ROI? Which path has the higher return of the investment? 
working in a large company or starting a business? Which one has higher return? I said, well, if you ask that question, you shouldn't start a business hmm. because it's never about return of your investment. If you do the return of investment, adjusting the probability, starting a company is always low return comparing to working for a, a established company. So at the end of the day, it's, it's about follow your dream, follow your gut. If that's the kind of life you want to live, just go ahead and do it. I love that. Thank you, Larry. So you mentioned your story as an immigrant, your heritage as a Chinese American. We're two years into this pandemic and our experience as a society and as a country in this pandemic has been so multifaceted and so tragic in many respects as well. And part of that tragedy has been that the AAPI community has experienced a lot of violence in the last year or two in the United States in particular that has been been covered widely in the press. Do you think about the role that we plays in terms of being a shining light for the community? Your roots as a company were really with Chinese Americans and then with Asian Americans more broadly. Have you thought about you know, we as, as a beacon for the community, as a gathering place for the community, as, as an example of hope for the community during a tough time. I, I really see we as a company that help people share food, help people understand each other. Because I think a lot of the hate, a lot of the bad behavior we, we observe is by dehumanizing a race or, or people you, you are not familiar with, right? I think people who committed those acts or, or crimes, if they had had very close friends in the community, they probably wouldn't have done that. If they know the culture, they didn't see other culture as being exotic, they probably wouldn't have done that. I think the role that we can play is to be the place that help people understand other culture, other people through food through sharing the food, you know, connect each other so they don't see other people as being weird or strange or exotic. I think that's something we can do and we can do well. We are also ourselves, we are a huge advocate of being inclusive. We are, I told everyone, I said, we are going to be the most inclusive company on the planet because we hire people from each communities to serve the community. So we have Filipino employees to serve the Filipino communities. We have Mexican employees to serve the Mexican communities, et cetera, et cetera. So we want to build really a place that's very, very inclusive. And it's in our core culture. To be inclusive is in our core culture. So hopefully we can be a company that inspire other companies or inspire other people to do the same. Thank you, Larry, for sharing that. As we close, I wanted to just dig a little bit deeper into that last statement. You said, we're going to be the most inclusive company on the planet. Why do you think it's so important for people to see themselves not just in the products that we is selling, but also in the people? 
who are employed at the company in the team. Why is that so important for your customers to see themselves in the organization that you all are building? I think our customers may not see being inclusive as a key thing. We didn't try to advocate to our customers say, hey, you should buy from we because we are inclusive, right? We try to tell the customers, you should buy from we because this is the place that you will discover great food that fits your cultural identity. It's also a great place for you to discover food that you may love but come from other culture, right? So we're not trying to try to appeal the inclusive side to our customers. That's not what, what we're doing, right? Being inclusive is just what we believe that is the right thing to do to serve our customers well. And also it's just good in general to see the good things in other people. So that's why that's what we'll, we'll, we'll be living. Larry Liu, founder and CEO of WE, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you, Bethany, for having me. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode of The Breakline Arena. We're hoping that you're walking away feeling a little moved, a little inspired. And if you really had a good time, feel free to head on over, rate, subscribe, leave us a review. It does help us spread the good word, keeps these good vibes rolling. Yes, we would love to hear from you. Thanks again, and we will see you next time. 